You are Locked On Browns, your daily Cleveland Browns podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. Your daily delivery of all things Dog Pound, LGB, on the LOB, Locked On Browns. Brought to you by the Locked On Browns podcast, your team every day. Appreciate everybody takes the time out uh, to make Locked On Browns their first listen day in, day out. Uh, we've gotten some initial senior bowl coverage. We're going to continue with that um, over the week here. Um, Shrine Bowl going on simultaneously. Today is Thursday. Shrine Bowl to air tonight, 8 o'clock live on the NFL Network. Make sure you are checking that out. We're going to get to that as Brent Sobolowski is back here home from a couple days in Vegas. So we're going to get to that too. Um, just one thing we're going to touch on here first um, and certainly appreciate Brent for his time. Um, the, uh, the reveal in Washington, um, new uniforms, new name, the Washington Commanders. And now for any announcer, any uh, anybody who puts out content, any reporter, where it took you almost two years to get down to saying Washington football team. You're not going to have to switch that back up here. Um, the birth of the Washington commanders, Brent, my first theory is I got to be honest. I think Washington football team was better. <laughs> I can't argue. Like if you're going to go generic, stay like full on generic, because that's essentially what commanders is. There's no real ties with that name. And I joked on social media that it reminds me of a creative team organization that you would play on Madden when you're a kid and you didn't, couldn't come up with a better name. That's essentially what it, what I the way I view it. And I understand, you know, even historically, if you look at some of these team names, they don't, there's not a lot to them. But those those organizations have existed for decades, if not even a century, in profession in certain professional sports. So they have built history. Now you had an opportunity to do something and be bold and you failed to do so. And I actually liken this very much so to the Cleveland Guardians. Now, I understand the Guardians, they have the ties to the city when it comes to the statue. And I I get that. But my contention is this, because of the changes that both Washington and Cleveland made in those specific organizations, they went to safest, most bland option they possibly could as part of marketing (laughs) as not to offend anybody anywhere for anything and i for example in washington i thought they could have really made a statement if they went with something like red tails right unique awesome name that has a deep rich history within our country and instead we get commanders so it's going to take a while to get used to, my friend. It's going, but it's certainly something I just thought was a very weak sauce. And they had two years to do this, and that's what you came up with. Whatever. For me, and like I love the fact that you went with like the creative team name, but it's not even like you got to type in the options. Like it was creative team, and they gave yeah. you five cities, and then you went to team name, and it was like one, two, three, four, or five. And uh, all right, I guess commanders. Um, <laughs> Look, the name is what it is, and I got to be honest. The thing where Washington football team was where I liked it was, even though it was generic, it was unique. Uh, so any other team, if they ever have to go the route where they have to change it, um, it, it, there will always be one that did it. It will be the first team that ever did it, you know, and and doing it, and obviously, you know, sort of the homage how it goes to, you know, 
obviously soccer across the land. I can understand that. Um, but it was, you know, for me, you know, yeah, definitely very bland. Um, it's, it feels like something that like maybe a second grade team would choose for their field day name, you know, Mrs. Clark's commanders, that type of thing. Um, certainly, you know, not much flavor, not much appeal with that. But I think the best part about this is in a number one, nobody was surprised. Everybody thought it was going this way. And the fact that the Washington organization, Brent, was stupid enough to start changing things around in the building in front of big glass windows, whatever you want to say, that the secret was revealed. So it led to the most bland unveiling where it was kind of like, you know, it's chicken for dinner. Well, not only that, you do it at eight in the morning when everyone is either in Las Vegas for the <laughs> or mobile for the entire NFL. So you'd even give yourself an opportunity to have the, the stage. <laughs> you waited and timed it in a, a manner where there was no there's no real excitement to it. And if you look at, if you look at other organizations, let's use the Browns or let's use the Bengals or whatever, not that they had name changes, but when they rolled out the rolled out the new uniforms. These were big deals. These were, you know, they try to put it in a situation where you're in prime time, that they had all eyes on them. And so, look, one of the things we know with Washington is this. It's one of the worst run organizations in professional sports, period. And they have done nothing <laughs> to change our minds from that regard. And so it's just one more thing. And... To me, all it screams is, hey, this is a marketing department says this team, this name works and we'll go with that. And that's how the decision came to be. And look, I mean, it, it, it is it, it, it is a knock on an organization um, it, right now. Obviously, you watch it did very, very bland organization, a team, obviously, um, you're with some players and with the defense that looks pretty promising. A team certainly, certainly that needs an identity at a quarterback, needs a player at the quarterback. Um, but this was a way to pump people up, you know, gather people around. Um, and even if the name was going to be a dud, I mean, you throw a party. People always love a party. Um, the uniforms, look, I, for me, I am one that you cannot just show me pictures of jerseys. I'm sorry. It doesn't work that way. For me, it's being on the field, players wearing it, way the whole uniform sequence works together. So for me, I, I never pass judgment on that till I actually see, you know, the finished product, the 75th anniversary jerseys for the Browns. I wasn't a huge fan of Then I actually saw them on the field. And you see some players wearing them, and you know maybe it's because Miles Garrett could probably make you know you know a yellow you know rain uh, yellow rain jump uh, jumpsuit look good, but you know jerseys <laughs> for me can never truly be judged until they're actually on the field. Um, who knows? Browns conceivably could be the first game for the Washington Commanders. We'll see the way that works going into the 2022 season. But you know the birth of the Washington Commanders, and you know again you know with much everything that Washington does, um, laid an egg, you know spit a bit. You know, a dud, something, most things that everything Washington does. But we are going to get to Shrine Bowl action. Brent drew the enviable assignment of Las Vegas over Mobile. Um, hey, it's a tough job. Somebody's got to do it. Brent did it. We're going to get back to here. We're going to talk a little bit about the offensive side of the ball here. Um, and this is different. You know, normally for everybody, the senior bowl is a big thing of premises. But you got to understand, this is a very, very deep draft class with the COVID options out of 2020. So there are a lot of a lot of prospects this year, um, certainly more than many others. And obviously the Shrine Bowl had their share. And we will get to that in just a minute on Locked on Browns with Brent Sobolewski. 
Listen up, guys. I need you to understand there's a tad bit of a change here, but Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before as football continues its march through the playoffs right to the big game in a couple of weeks. BetOnline.net remains the best spot for all your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. And it's not just football. BetOnline has up-to-the-minute info on pro and college hoops, NHL, boxing, UFC, along with live, real-time updates of current games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the new amazing offers available for the 2022 season. Bet online where the game starts. And yes, folks, it is now betonline.net. Brent, good friend of the scouting community. And for people who don't know, you know, Eric Alco, who is now running the Shrine Bowl, he's been a guest a lot on Browns. Um, mm-hmm. I've had you know the, t- the opportunity to meet with Eric several times, some of the tri-state area pro days over the years. Um, so getting the opportunity, getting a beautiful area venue in Vegas to now take the Shrine Bowl as it matriculated its way from the west down to Florida, now back now out west to Las Vegas. First off, Brent, some overall thoughts of the experience and, you know, the way it was set up and obviously a great host city in Las Vegas, which is, you know, going to be a big prominent spot here in a couple of months again. It is. And you mentioned earlier, I drew this assignment. I didn't draw this assignment. I intentionally selected it over the senior bowl. So (laughs) that was my choice, actually. Now, yes, it's Vegas uh, over Mobile. So that, that certainly factored into the equation. But it was an instance where I've covered the Senior Bowl numerous times. I, I wanted to go to the Shrine Bowl and see how this new setup was and how it could potentially trend, right? That was important. And there's been buzz, at least all week, throughout the scouting community, that eventually the Shrine Bowl could start stealing some players away from the Senior Bowl because of that setup, because of the NFL involvement. So not only are you in a better location, not not just from a weather perspective and entertainment perspective, which, by the way, that is important for NFL personnel. Don't ever think it isn't. But at the same time... They love Veats. They love Veats, but there's something yeah. about the Las Vegas Strip. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a little different than when you're on the Strip all, all week. But the other thing is accessibility, right? Las Vegas is one of the easiest places to fly into for anyone. And Mobile isn't, (laughs) just to be kind. So when you think of it logistically, it works better for the NFL and most of the teams. Secondly, facilities are fantastic. And again, I'm not trying to downplay the Senior Bowl. Senior Bowl is always a good experience. And it has been the premier all-star game for decades. It's been a long, long time since the Shrine Bowl was considered on the same level. But when you have the NFL involved, and you're utilizing Allegiant Stadium, which, by the way, my God, is a cathedral to football. It is gorgeous. And I suggest anyone ever has an opportunity, if you want to go see the Browns play in Vegas one time, please do. It's well worth your time. It's just a sleek, modern facility that's a wonderful way to view the sport. But once you start including that in the conversation and you have players – in NFL facilities, now you start wondering, okay, as good as the Senior Bowl can be and how much it's ingrained in the culture, especially in the South, in that, in that city, does it matter as much to the NFL? And, and the reason I bring that up is this, because a lot of people will say historically and tradition and blah, 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 right? Well, guess what? 
the NFL combine is going to start moving in a year or two, right? And there's the history there. There's logistically, it's the smartest place for them to be because of how the city set up and prepared to handle an influx of about 300 plus prospects and over a thousand some NFL personnel showing up. So that's when you have to start to wonder if the NFL will start to back, start backing a place like the Shrine Bowl and use it as the primary all-star game. And I will say this, because I know this personally, the level of competition between the two is an all-time high. Now, this year, we expected the Shrine Bowl to maybe pull one or two top prospects because of everything I just discussed. It didn't happen. But I'm curious to see in the next two, three years if that starts to shift a little bit as the NFL starts saying and throwing its weight around a little bit and, and maybe prefers Vegas over Mobile. Well, and there's also this, though. I mean, if you're a prospect and, you know, obviously, you know, you, you have feedback coming from your agent and obviously, you know, the agent company and this, that and the other thing. It's one thing to go to Mobile and say, oh, maybe he's the 15th, 16th best prospect there. It's a whole other thing to say, oh, well, he's in the Shrine Bowl. Might be the top number one, number two prospect. So you go into the week, you go into you know the practices already with you know all eyes on you, and it, it's certainly something. And look, agents aren't dumb; they make these players these money, um, you know, for for a reason. They know what they're doing, and you know now that it's you know in such a place where there is this type of buzz, and you know as you mentioned, obviously with every everything being so new and brand new, football wise in Vegas, there is that. Also, there's the other thing. Um, you know, Brett, you don't, you know, yesterday in Mobile, you don't get a lot of that in Las Vegas. No. So, you know, yesterday while everybody was sitting out there for six hours, and God bless them, you know, tons of friends, obviously, from Brett and I, both of them, you know, both of us, you know, tons of friends out there. Um, But when you, you know, they weren't thrilled with it, you know, it wasn't the best experience. So it's, you know, 50s, soaking wet, you know, water where it shouldn't be on your body, as opposed to, uh, you know, 81 and oh maybe if it's too hot we'll just take yeah. it inside to the beautiful new stadium god i was i will say flat out that I, I heard scouts even before they left for mobile looking at the weather and say jesus <laughs> like we're gonna have to go through that it's not like that here so it was definitely a point of conversation yeah uh, and you know something looking and the other thing is you know and everybody oh well weather's part of it da, 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 da. when you're putting together an all-star game and there's no months of structure to it. You don't want it to be a factor. It puts the players in some very, very difficult positions. Some guys excelled, some guys didn't. But, you know, at the end of the day, that is what it is. But offensive side of the ball, Brent, I know there was a couple of wide receivers that stood out. Uh, I know, uh, you know, running back that didn't get a ton of buzz out of USC stood out. Browns need skilled players on the offensive side of the ball. Um, certainly going to be some names coming into the wide receiver room. I think with this tight end class as deep as it is, um, whatever happens with Austin Hooper or not, I think the Browns might have, you know, be looking there. If it's a, a position they, you know, feel that is highly, um, you know, on their roster, you'd be foolish not to look at a class as deep as this. But take us through here some of the names on the offensive side of the ball that maybe stood out for you this week. Well, whatever it is, we won't mention quarterbacks. <laughs> we're, we're not doing – we're not do, we're, we're just not doing that. <laughs> well, in this case, it has nothing to do with the Brown situation. It has everything to do with it. This is just such a weak class that even though you have depth pretty much everywhere else, guess what position you don't? Oh, yeah, quarterback. And we know that's apparent even – Just for, it, not even to cut you off. It was uh, Benjamin Solak from um, – and I guess Ben's now with the ringer. And he actually was digging through and he's like – 
this kind of looks like the 2013 NFL draft where EJ Manuel went 16th and no other quarterback went till the second round. But go ahead, buddy. It 100% does. And, and I know we jo- joked about on social media, but someone's going to talk themselves into him like they did Manuel. And it, I swear to God, I'm watching Twitter and some of the responses from the senior ball. I'm like, you guys are falling for it. You're falling for it. <laughs> he looks great on Tuesday. He's a top oh five player God. in this class. Anyhow, uh, as of starting with the wide receivers at the Shrine Bowl, our highest rated player in general was Coastal Carolina's uh, Javon Hiley, and he looked the part. Uh, it was one of those moments where you watch him through the throughout the week, and for our scouting department, it was confirmation. Now he's not as highly regarded, nor do you have the name recognition, but he leaves Coastal Carolina as his all-time leading receiver. You're talking about a six foot one, 200 pound wide receiver that knows how to get open, that has consistently quick in and out of his breaks. Yes, he come from a, an offense that will have to expand his overall route running repertoire, uh, at least on, on a consistent basis of what he's asked to do. Uh, but he certainly looked like a, a day two wide receiver that can step in and contribute. Uh, when you look at names that were a little less known, the one that kind of popped all week was Tyquan Thornton from Baylor, a guy that just showed up every single day, looked good, got open, made his catches. Not someone you expect a lot out of, but a guy that certainly rose to the occasion and in a competitive setting against high-level prospects, performed well. Um, one that I we liked that, or just in general, that you saw – Jareth Stearns from Western Kentucky. Now, that shouldn't come as a surprise for anyone that pays attention because he was college football's leading receiver this year coming out of that system. Now, granted, they threw for over 6,000 yards, so someone's got to be the leading receiver in that system. Stearns is that guy. Smaller receiver, but consistently found his way open. And that's what – that you hear me repeating the same terms because it's important, right? It's important that you see these guys create separation, that when they're competing in one-on-one settings, that they are – breaking off their stem, they're getting open and available to their quarterbacks. And when you have poor quarterback play, it's even more important because they're not exactly threading the needle each and every throw when you only have a, a slight leverage on a defensive back. So if you ask me the top three guys at wide receiver, that would be the first one. Now, what I found interesting, really interesting as a matter of fact, was the running back room on the West team. Uh, so when you had Ty Chandler out of North Carolina, right? Now, this is a, a, a running back who only caught – who never caught more than 19 passes a game – or a game. Yeah, that'd be amazing, actually. Who only caught 19 passes in a season. He was putting guys in a blender. He, it was unbelievable to see how well he was running routes each and every day. He looks like a plug-and-play – third down back tomorrow. And that's not what he was when he was at UNC. So that's what's really interesting to me. And the other one you mentioned already, the transfer, Keontae Ingram, who played one year at USC. I mean, he was putting guys in spin cycle on -on one-on-one drills when it comes to uh, one-on-one passing drills. And linebackers were just looking silly. Now, to be fair, the linebackers at the Shrine Bowl are limited athletically overall. But these running backs just look spectacular in those passing settings when they weren't utilized that way at the collegiate level. So that's exciting because these are later round guys I'm mentioning, but they come in 
with a role already. You know where they're going to fit, and that gives them the potential to contribute very early in their careers. Oh, one more. I'll add one more. Sorry, because I almost forgot the name. South Carolina State's, or excuse me, South Dakota State's Pierre Strong Jr. And before I came into this week, this was my description of Pierre Strong after watching him uh, specifically during the FCS playoffs. I told one of my fellow scouts, I said, look, he's going to get selected in, I don't know, sixth round. I was just throwing it out there a couple months ago. He's going to go to the team like, I don't know, the 49ers, run for 1,000 yards, and no one will think anything of it. <laughs> he is a pure outside zone runner that fits that system perfectly, one of the fastest guys in this class. But, again, very importantly, he showed he's capable in the passing game at the Shrine Bowl. Very, very interesting. Um, now, you know, as far as, you know, other positions on the offensive side of the ball, again, you said, you know, we're not going to toss so much quarterback. And again, guys, uh, you know, we've gone over this for months now. Once the distaste for whoever it is, for, I'm sorry, from whoever it was uh, from Baker Mayfield started, find me the solution. And, you know, one of your darlings is already gone. As it seems, Josh McDaniels is very thrilled to be going to Las Vegas to work with Derek Carr. Um, we'll see the way some of these other names shake out. And again, it's about upgrade. Um, normally, the Shrine Bowl is not going to draw the best quarterbacks. Um, but tight end, offensive line, Brent, anybody there maybe stood out? Well, tight end well, might have been the best position group there. And, <clears throat> excuse me, um, the number one guy, at least for me, all week. And I concentrated a lot on tight ends because we had our scouting department there. So we had these, these guys kind of concentrating certain positions. And all, more times than not, I was watching the tight ends, the offensive line, and linebackers most closely. Um, Jelani Woods from Virginia. For those that don't, don't, don't know him as a prospect, think Darren Fells, but more athletic, right? Six foot seven, 265 pounds. He was actually a transfer from Oklahoma State, but much like Ohio State, for reference, they don't utilize their tight end. He's on the field, but more as a blocker than he is an actual receiving threat. He goes to Virginia, gets in a high-profile offense that really slings it all over the place. He was injured, we found out, late in late in this past season. So if you go and watch Virginia, looking specifically for Jelani, a lot of times the only route you see him running is a seam route <laughs> because he was uh, his capabilities on the entire route tree weren't to the fullest at the time. So seeing him come here, run the full route tree, just have defensive backs completely flustered because they couldn't do anything. Well, you're talking about a six foot seven, 265 pound tight end who can move, who's athletic, right? In fact, I was su surprised coming out of this, expecting him to be a little more plodding. Like I knew he could move, but I didn't think it would be fluidly. He he really impressed, man. And I, I would argue he was the best guy on the on on the field all week long, and showed that not he's not just a a tall red zone target or a third down guy that can box you out. He can actually be a mismatch and a weapon in the offense. Another guy that really popped that I this guy come come completely caught me off guard because I didn't know who he was like that's you know those are the fun ones right guys you never got to so they, they blow you away and there's a reason I didn't get to this one first of all I don't know how many Bobcats Bobcat fans are out there but from Ohio Armani Rogers now if you go and look him up he had only like 300 receiving yards this year so you're like why is this tight end <laughs> at one of these all-star games he played one year at Ohio as a tight end, had 300 yards receiving. Well, that's not impressive. 
until you find out he was a starting quarterback at UNLV, transferred, played quarterback Ohio, and then made the transition to tight end. He might have been the smoothest guy running routes of any tight end there. Now think about that a second. He's not been a tight end for a full season yet, and he was the most athletic-looking one of the bunch. And you're like, where, why, where is this guy coming from? So that that's uh, when you have someone like that that pops, it's just the potential and upside you can get in a late-round selection. If you can develop him properly, he can be a very, very good tight end in the long term. Um, uh, from Virginia, and now I know I was talking about this with Stephen Thomas the other day. Um, and the first thing is, is well, what do you do? Coverage-wise, you can't get under him. You can't go over him. You can't go around him. Um, so he comes right in. And now, obviously, for the other one you brought up in Rodgers, that's a perfect selection perhaps maybe for a team like the Cleveland Browns mm-hmm. where he's not needed right away. Um, you put a new one, put him into an offense. You put him into a scheme where they love the tight ends. They like to use them, but there is no pressure on the young man. It gives him time to, you know, obviously get more comfortable with the position, obviously start to learn more and more of the nuances as it will be a big jump from the collegiate level to the pro level. Um, but for the Browns, you know, and you know, again, this is, it's a couple of years now where they've been really, really advantageous. Um, but positional groups, they value, um, it seemed to have some depth and certainly a lot of talent. And I'm going to tell you right now, and we've said this, you know, a bunch, it may not be first round heavy, but this is by far going to be one of the craziest and deepest tight end classes in most recent history and maybe in NFL draft history overall. We're going to get to a little bit more with Brent here. We're going to kick it up. Go ahead, Brent. I see the finger. Jump on in, bud. The only reason I just wanted to bring up a, a keynote, um, Derek Deese, who was our highest rated tight end coming into the week. Practice day, partially day one, did not practice rest of the week. He tweaked his ankle. So I'm not sure. I talked to his agent multiple times about it. They wanted to try to get him to go, but they were very safe with all the prospects who got dinged throughout the week. So if you do not see him at the game itself, it shouldn't be a major concern going into the combine time, but it's something to keep an eye on because he is a well-regarded tight end prospect who obviously have has great bloodlines. And, well, the other thing is, I mean, going out, catching two catches for 23 yards uh, in the Shrine Bowl, as opposed to not being able to test at the Combine, um, as far as, you know, draft purposes, uh, certainly not good and certainly not a help here. Uh, we're going to switch it up here. We're going to go to the defensive side of the ball here, get Brent's thoughts from what he saw in the bright lights of Vegas on the defensive side of the ball from Shrine Bowl practices. We'll be back with that just a second here on Locked On Browns. This episode is brought to you by our good friends at Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain stores to stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questions as your Odyssey, an LX, or an EX, and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry. You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. Save time and money when using Rock Auto. Why choose to spend 30%, 50%, even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or car dealership? Rock Auto prices are reliably low and are for every customer. Go explore their easy-to-use website today to find the solution to your auto part needs. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in there. How did you hear about us box? So they know the folks over at Locked On sent you their way. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. 
Defensively, Brent, and look, they're as much as the growth of this Browns defense, and it was very, very impressive as 21 closed. Right now, you look at the edge position, and for me, even if you sign Jadavian Clowney, I am ready to rip up the rest of the room, bring guys in there. Defensive tackle room, you don't have this guy. And look, the Browns didn't have this guy at all in 2021 as far as being the big aid in allowing these linebackers and these defensive backs to run around, use their athleticism to stop the run. So there's issues there. Um, There could be an opening, certainly at the safety position, uh, as MJ Stewart is currently a free agent and uh, certainly has probably bypassed Ronnie Harris in the pecking order. But defensive backs as a whole, you can never have enough of them. And if anybody knows that well, it's you Cleveland Browns fans. As it seemed a revolving door as who was in, who was out, Week in, week out, defensive players from Vegas to the Shrine Bowl. Brent, let's see what you got. Well, I will say this. I, depending on what position you're looking at, it, uh, the quality there, Barry. So defensive tackle, this is defensive tackle is much like quarterback in this year's class. The overall quality is very thin. And you have certain guys, and there was one or two at the Shrine Bowl that you want to look at and say, okay, these guys make sense because what Cleveland's looking for, space eaters, they can hold the point of attack, they funnel the ball outside to those defensive ends and or scraping linebackers. So the first name that automatically is going to pop is Marquand McCall, okay? Now, he's more of a traditional nose tackle at six foot two, 346, but he showed a little bit of a burst. So, like, we were sitting at practice one day, we saw him, work behind the guard and still make the play in the backfield. Now that shows that he has a little, a little bit of, little bit of quickness for a guy his size, obviously has the strength of a point of attack and he's not, he's never going to be a three down defensive tackle. You know what you're getting with him, but at the same time, he's that space eater that just fits in that role. And that's something, and you know, Jeff, when we're looking at modern football, everyone talks about it's a pass first league and it is, and there's no argument there, but at the same time, those trends are starting to starting to waffle back to the other direction, right? That teams that run the ball well that are starting to get advantage against some of these faster, smaller defenses. So you need a couple of those big guys in the middle. Not, and they don't even have to be big, right? You just need guys that are powerful, that can hold against those ace blocks, that, can, that aren't getting blown off the ball or aren't getting turned, right? and allow your linebackers to make plays, particularly in Cleveland where they put – more of an emphasis on speed and athleticism than they do playing downhills and taking on blocks. So Mark Hall's definitely the guy that would be the first one that was mentioned to me basically when I arrived at the Shrine Bowl. He had an up and down week, but he certainly flashed, and that's that's a positive. The other one, and this is going to be fun, Iwuma Wuzurike from Iowa State. Now, he doesn't fit the age profile because he was a fifth year senior and I think he's 23 already, but you're talking about a six foot five, 319 pound athletic looking defensive tackle. So maybe a late round possibility. Other than that, it just wasn't much at that position, which is disappointing. Um, And when you were looking at linebacker, I said, I was concentrating on linebacker this week. You had guys you have one or two body types essentially in, in Vegas. One, you had the more physical downhill traditional linebackers, whether we're talking about a Jack Sanborn from Wisconsin or the smaller, more athletic linebackers who they're not true hybrids like a JOK, but you're going to have them at will linebacker and hopefully run and chase and make plays. So that examples of that would be Nefi Sewell, you know, Panay's little brother from Utah, 
who's about 5'11", 220, but he can play the position. You just got to know if he actually fits somewhere, and that's what the team has to argue. There was one that popped to me that I never, I didn't watch closely coming in. It was DQ Thomas coming out of Middle Tennessee State. Probably the most athletic guy. Again, small. You're talking about six foot, about 225, 230. But he was one of the few that, even despite his his stature, would light guys up. So he would he he'd be able to play in space, plus have that physicality. I'll I'll name one uh, one more just because he's it's very deserving. Ellis Brooks out of Penn State. I know a lot. Of, there was a lot of guys coming out of Penn State, but if you want to find the one alpha on the field, this is the guy who it was playing middle linebacker, directing traffic, telling his defensive linemen where to line up, telling his linebackers where they need to be. He was on it at all times, a clear leader on the field. And that's important during these weeks to see who steps up and helps lead the other men on the field. And it was certainly Brooks. Now, getting to some of the other positions, anybody flashier? And, you know, th- there's still room to grow here, you know, for this Browns defense. And, you know, the emphasis of trying to get younger, more athletic, faster, that's not going to change. Obviously, Joe Woods' plan is, you know, is now hatched. Um, we're starting to see the fruits of the labor. We're starting to see the success of it translating into on-field success as the Browns were able to hold numerous teams under 16 points uh, in the 2021 season some other guys that maybe fit that profile. And one thing, and I do want to get your thought process here, is Brent, as this draft class on a whole, it's going to be an anomaly. There are just going to be a lot of older players. As much as the Browns love this theory and they stick to it, this may be a year where if it comes down to player A versus player B, but A is a little bit older, B isn't where we think he is yet, it's going to be tough to totally stick to the guardrails as player because a lot of the guys that we're talking about that look to be safe and can be successful players, they may not fit into the age guardrail. And it's not, and it's just that it's a different year. Next year, kind of maybe can also be into the same thing as well. Too early to tell, but it's a little bit of a different spot here if you want to emphasize, you know, the guardrails here because a lot of these players that you're talking with in the top 50, top 100, maybe don't necessarily fit into that guardrail profile. No, you're absolutely right. And it, it was for anyone that covers a draft this year was infuriating. And by infuriating, I mean, trying to figure out exactly where what what designation these guys are from a class from the class perspective, because because then no, you know, but then you yeah. get schools where they don't list it like Notre Dame. Yeah. They list you by academics. They don't list you by athletics. And it's like and then you're, you know, then you're Twitter searching and we find out Devontae Wyatt from Georgia. Everybody loves him. Guess what? He's going to be 24 on March 31st. Yeah, it's it was so infuriating this year. So there's going to be instances, and and the, the other thing you had to take into account, relatively speaking, is this was a small underclassmen group, about a hundred total. And while people are like, well, "That's that's a full three rounds worth of players," yeah, but when you consider the previous, the pre-COVID years when they set set all-time highs in underclassmen declaring that's a huge chunk out of your talent pool that's no longer there because they're already in the nfl so you're absolutely right stating that it's going to be a little different from that regard now i do believe that it won't rule certain guys out it just depends on where they are so let me use kenny pickett as example because he was a talking point yesterday on social media kenny pickett will be 24 years old before he ever plays it down the nfl he's a quarterback, so it's a little different. But if you're talking about a prospect in general at any other position, you're probably rolling him out. If he's a fifth-year senior and 
and he's maybe 23 and will be 23 throughout his entire rookie year, I think that's a little bit different, right? That you would consider that prospect more so than you would in previous years based on what's available to you. Now, I will say this about some of the defensive prospects. Um, there were key injuries to big names there. So I didn't mention Zacoby McLean from Auburn, who was the highest rated linebacker there. Now, he fit that JOK mold. He's actually someone I thought of that could be a nice backup because when you lose JOK, you can't replace that skill set. So you need someone that can do similar things. And McLean's one of those because he's a safety convert. And But the problem is he hurt his finger during the week. I don't know the extent. I just know it was bad enough to where he didn't play all week, the rest of the week. So you have that. Jack Jones out of Arizona State, someone they were very excited about. Uh, just from a talent perspective, because he has high round capabilities, but has an injury history. Guess what happened? He got an injury and didn't practice the rest of the week. So these are types of things that happen while you're there that you don't get to see all these guys. You don't get to see some of the top talents because they're being precautionary. And that's what you have to do as an event. I get that. And But there's other guys on the field who are playing through injuries. For example, the Clemson linebacker, had a, had a club all week. Now, the Clemson linebacker is most likely going undrafted, so he had to show up every day. <laughs> and it just – it, it kind of gives you – it kind of stunts the way you're evaluating these guys because you just don't know exactly where they're going to be once they get into the full-blown pre-draft process of workouts, you know, team visits, and so on and so forth. And you have to weigh that with all the things that we're discussing. Okay, injury history, age guard guardrail positional value need etc so it all it all works into the bigger tapestry of evaluation all right so just some closing thoughts here brent obviously you know with the shrine bowl here this new thing and obviously you gave some thoughts here as you know where this is going and you know maybe this isn't going to essentially you know just be the second all-star game anymore and you know knowing eric eric alco and then knowing the way eric works and does things uh he's he, he's not going to just sit back and let this thing continue to be this. He's going to do everything he can and his damnedest, you know, to make this just, you know, as close to the senior bowl as possible, if not better. Of course, that's going to take years and a lot of work to get it to that level. But just some closing thoughts here. Um, and obviously with the game tonight. So, I mean, Thursday night, you get to see, you know, actually this, you know, poor lay in the game action for everybody. The practices are always more important. Game settings can get kind of wonky with only three days to prepare. But, you know, just some final thoughts here, Brent, on the week in Vegas. Well, I think that the thing people would like the most about the way Eric has this trending is the transparency. And having talked to him personally while we were there, you know, Eric's a former media guy, all right? He's just like us. He's like, why would I hide information from people? And that's, it's the most basic thing. But I, I'm someone that's done this long enough to, I, I'll, give you, <laughs> I'll give you a quick story about one of the things how we used to uh, obtain some of the information. When we used to go to the combine in the old RCA, RCA dome, not even Lucas Oil, we would leave at like five in the morning before all the scouts would get there, sneak in the back room and put a recorder under the podium where they announced the heights, weights, arm lengths, and all that stuff. That's how we got you those numbers for general consumption. Now, anyone can go on the Shrine Bowl website and look up all the official heights, weights, arm lengths, you know, for those in attendance. To me, that's awesome. 
to being open, asking about injuries, being getting that information, not having people hide it, to doing new and progressive things that they aren't doing at the senior bowl at the moment. And I might get into that more later when I get into the weeds of it because the player tracking stuff that they did this week is fascinating. And I don't have all that data at my fingertips yet, but it's something that I'm looking into um, that's more football specific and very exciting overall into way that we can, we can evaluate prospects moving forward. So when you take those things and place it in a first-class setting like Vegas at Allegiant Stadium, to me, that was one of the reasons I wanted to go there. I, it wasn't just because it was in Las Vegas. It was because I wanted to see where this was trending and where it could go, and I wanted to be there from the start of it. So I truly feel that coming out of this, NFL teams were looking at this like, okay, maybe there's going to be a shift. It might not be full-blown, but maybe you start seeing some players waffling back and forth where it becomes more important to go to one as opposed to always the other. Okay. So I will say this, I know for a fact that almost, excuse me, almost every general manager was in attendance at the start of the week. So they're, they're interested, (laughs) right? This isn't just something you overlook anymore and you shouldn't have anyways, because there's always players that came out of it, but I I understand that it was considered a tier two all-star game. Well, maybe now, it's tier 1B and can push itself up a little further. Now, that's not saying to overlook the Senior Bowl. They do a wonderful job. They've done everything they possibly can to make them so, place themselves where they currently are as an event. But I'm, I'm really intrigued to say, see which way this trends over the next four or five years. And I think Eric's doing the right things to place themselves in that conversation. And the thing with it is, look, you know, um, yes, you know, you need to nail your first and second round picks. Um, but if we've learned anything over overall team success here over the last couple of seasons in the NFL, it's nailing your day two and day three picks. But go ahead. Tom Brady, Shrine Bowl participant. That's all you need to know. You can find these guys, man. <laughs> and look, I mean, it also takes us an opportunity and putting in the work and setting in the eyes. And if you learn anything from these practices, don't take everything from day one. Everybody wants to see, and people like to see some guys struggle on day one because that's when the coaches get involved and that's when teaching gets involved. And let's see if you can take what I taught you and turn it into on-field success. And you've seen this mm-hmm. in some of these practices with these all-star games. Always appreciate Bleacher Reports, Brent Soboleski, for taking the time out for us. Um, obviously, Brent's going to have a bunch coming here, uh, you know, draft-wise, certainly a bunch more coming from the Shrine Bowl coverage. So appreciate him for his time. Uh, make sure you follow Brent Soboleski, show itself, at Lockdown Browns. Me personally, at Jeff underscore LJ underscore Lloyd. Appreciate everybody who makes Lockdown Browns their first listen day in, day out. This has been your daily delivery of all things Dog Pound. LGB on the yellow B. Let's go Browns.